Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Hey, man, not doing uh, too bad. How about you? I'm pretty good. You know, it's a nice, it actually seems a little bit more like spring today out here in the Great White North. I'm not going to lie. The sun's out. Um, the snow is starting to melt. I was just growing my beard. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, I was going to say, my yeah, I've been beautifully working. bearded friend over here. <laughs> I've been working on it, man. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. So but now it's starting to warm up, you know? It's gonna, I know. <laughs> it's going to come off. It's going to come off shortly. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I like it, man. I'm glad you're, uh, you're straying out into new uncharted territories. I appreciate, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, we're back at it, guys, with another interview this week. Um, we are talking to Anita Lambert. She's a physiotherapist out of Peterborough, Ontario, who actually is specialized in um, women's health. She does Pilates, uh, acupuncture. She's a business owner, podcaster, blogger. She's got all kinds of stuff going on. We're excited to have her on the podcast. So, Anita, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Got my coffee and my baby is napping, so life is pretty sweet. That's a win. <laughs> Hopefully that the baby doesn't wake up mid-podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that would be, be fitting. <laughs> it happens a lot with our podcast, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's start off with what coffee you're drinking then. I see. Yeah. You, I think you got a little Starbucks there, is that it? Yep, got uh, my Americano. That would be my drink of choice. Nice. And, and yeah. then when you're, uh, when you're making your own coffee, how do you, yeah. how do you go about brewing your own coffee? I'm French press nice. all the way. I would like to get espresso machine for home. My husband's a big coffee drinker too. So I think that's oh. something we need to get, but yeah, French press typically. You know, what's uh, kind of like an in-between is the uh, AeroPress. I've been seeing that, that, that would be a good in-between. We're, we're big advocates of the AeroPress. <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting for that sponsorship deal from AeroPress. <laughs> um okay anita why don't you just start off by kind of giving a little bit of background about yourself to uh to our listeners Mm -hmm. yep so i'm a public health and orthopedic physio uh and like dalton mentioned my focus is on women's health and specifically prenatal and postpartum populations um i have my solo practice here in peterborough called holistic health physiotherapy um And uh, we moved here from Toronto about two and a half years ago. So with my husband and my daughter, who's three, and then recently gave birth to my son, who's almost three months. Um, And yeah, Peterborough has been pretty welcoming. And uh, yeah, so it's just a bit about kind of where I am now. Well, congratulations on the uh, new baby. Thank you. Yeah, I would think I was mentioning to you guys before that he's heard a lot of your podcasts. Um, (laughs) Start him young. (laughs) What's his name? Uh, Jack. Jack. Nice. Um, so why don't you kind of give us a little bit more background into like mm-hmm. your physio career? So I'm kind of interested yeah. in hearing how, um, you got into women's health and I know just kind of reading a little bit up on your website that you kind of had a, a couple other interesting things that you were doing before you started that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I grew up as an athlete and dancer and I knew that, uh, when it came to a career, I wanted to keep working with athletes and dancers somehow. Um, I had a lot of peers who went through physio, um, between the dance world and sports world. That's not too surprising. So I did my kinesiology and physiotherapy degrees at McMaster university. Um, and while I was there, I was the team therapist with the rugby and basketball team, which was pretty awesome. Um, I was pretty set on doing ortho at that point and, uh, and also worked at the sports med clinic at Mac. And then a really awesome opportunity came. My final clinical placement I actually did in Brisbane, Australia um, at a Pilates-based physiotherapy clinic, which for Canada at that time was something a little bit more rare. Um, but in Australia, they, it was, it was pretty common. Um, so I decided to, uh, add on to my uh, school debt and why not head off to Australia? Yeah. just add a little bit on. 
And uh, <laughs> so I did my final clinical placement there, which was absolutely priceless. Um, and even before going, I knew I wanted to incorporate Pilates into my treatment. So I had done research ahead of time knowing I wanted to move from Hamilton to Toronto um, right after graduation. And there was a Pilates clinic in Toronto. So it was a, it was run by a physio. They had all the Pilates equipment, um, plus all the regular equipment, a lot of strength training, weights and all that as well. So I set up with her even before I left for my placement saying like, I really want to work at your clinic. Uh, when I get back, this is what I'm going to be doing when I'm gone. So Basically, when I got back, I started working there. Um, so I incorporated Pilates Rehab. I know you had Emma Jack on, I think, early yes. early on. And uh, we've met over social media, and she's. She, it sounds like very similar to what I was doing as well. So incorporating a lot of the Pilates equipment um, into treatment as well as um, manual therapy, acupuncture as well. Um, so I worked at that clinic and also worked at another sports clinic in Toronto, during that first year. Um, and then kind of over the years, I started, ended up seeing um, a lot of pregnant clients, even though it wasn't something either clinic was really advertising for. I think it was once people were finding out I was doing Pilates uh, rehab and as a physiotherapist, there was um, just a lot of people starting to to think, you know, this could be a great option as exercise. Um, and because a lot of women in pregnancy go through a lot of issues, including pain. So I was seeing a lot of pregnant uh, clients with pain during their pregnancy and the Pilates rehab is really helping. Um, and one particular client I think really kind of motivated me to go more into uh, the women's health side. She had seen me for Achilles um, and SI issues where we weren't using the Pilates rehab, and this was when she wasn't pregnant. Um, things were better, and then she got pregnant with twins. And she came back to me and said, look, my first pregnancy with my son was absolutely painful, pelvic girdle pain. I don't want to go through that again. I know you do the Pilates rehab. Um, can we give it a go for this pregnancy? So we did. And it's pretty awesome because she still follows me on social media and will still recommend uh, Pilates rehab and anyone near me to see me for it. Um, and this was seven or eight years ago because she's like, how is it possible that a pregnancy with twins could be more comfortable than when her with just with one baby? So it was really awesome just to experience that with a lot of different clients. Um, and an opportunity came up after a few years with a specific women's health clinic in Toronto. Um, I wasn't doing pelvic health, like I wasn't doing internal treatment at this time. Um, and they were looking for internal and external physios. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go for it. And so I did. And I was working there for a few months you know, still doing ortho and kind of Pilates. And the owner, I think, was really hoping I would go to the pelvic health side. She had other physios in it, but she was really hoping that, you know, we would all go into it. So basically she was like, you know what, shadow me for a couple days. We'll block out some times in your schedule. Just sit in on some assessments and treatments and then see if you, you change your mind. Um, so I did, and I did change my mind. Um, just seeing how the pelvic health, like the internal component, um, just really added to treatment, to outcomes. And as cliche as it sounds, it really, I could see it change clients' lives, um, specifically women who were pregnant and postpartum. So after that, then I did my training um, here near Toronto uh, to add the pelvic health, the internal component to my uh, practice. Um, and it just, I think it really added to the holistic side of how I treated um, already, looking at the whole body, but just adding that internal component really helped. Um, so that's kind of where I was when I was in Toronto, worked there for a few years. And then um, once we got pregnant with my daughter, we knew we wanted to kind of move out of Toronto. And so we moved, planning to move up to Peterborough, which was closer to where my husband grew up. And we didn't actually know anyone in Peterborough, but I knew I wanted to do my own thing. I had worked for three clinics. I was ready to do my own practice. I actually had a lot of my physio peers in Toronto say, you should go for it, just do your own thing. Um, so before moving up here, I, I uh, just 
through research, just connected with a lot of health professionals and fitness professionals in the area who were in women's health um, to be able to create almost like a support team for my future clients. Because I did that in Toronto and really wanted to have that support system for clients here. And that's actually um, how I connected with Connor, who was on your podcast as well. Um, I wanted to have a really good quality ortho clinic that I could recommend clients go to if they couldn't see me or for techniques that I didn't offer. Um, So we actually connected before I opened um, and I still refer there even and being off on that lead, that's the clinic I recommend people go to up here. Um, So when I got here, I had connected with all those professionals, did a bunch of workshops about women's health, pelvic floor, preparing uh, for birth and then opened my solo practice, which was awesome, um, in a hot yoga studio here. So I just rented a space. And then this pastor actually moved it to a new yoga studio in the area who actually focuses on women's health and public health. So, and that's, that's where I am today. I'm off on mat leave right now, but I'll be uh, back in the clinic later this year. It was obviously like a pretty long kind of uh, road. Like it wasn't the smoothest road to get to where you are now. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's, you know, it's not something that's uh, kind of commonly known, you know, like uh, we didn't know that much about it being in school. So I'm just curious, like mm-hmm. for a student who's maybe like looking at that area of practice and being like, maybe that's something I'd be interested in doing. Like what would you recommend them to start thinking about right now? Yeah, while they're still in school. That's a good point because we were talking about before um, recording that there's still, it doesn't sound like there's a lot in school in regards to lectures or options to learn about it. Um, If it's possible to, uh, you know, shadow at a clinic or at least meet with a pelvic physio. Also, I mean, there's so many things now in terms of whether it's podcasts or um, just ways to connect with physios that maybe wouldn't be in-person shadowing because that can get a little bit tricky with shadowing just because of the assessment and treatment with it being internal. It may not necessarily be an option. Um, But I would just say reach out to uh, women's health physios, public physios, or fitness pros who are working in that um, area to get an idea if it's something that – that kind of fits with what um, you're looking for in terms of your career or just to get a, you know, a idea about it ahead of time. Yeah. Because something you were kind of talking about was like the internal exam. I feel like that's something that is probably kind of a, it's an uncomfortable kind of area for a physiotherapist. We're not used to doing that sort of thing. And you mentioned how you kind of had a sort of learning experience where it kind of took you, past that discomfort. So I'm mm-hmm. curious, like if somebody's a little worried about that, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what got you past that kind of, uh, uncomfortable zone? Yeah, I guess it was, it was shadowing my boss at the time, to be honest. Um, because one of the, the other, the Pilates space clinic I was at, there was a physio who a couple years before I did my pelvic training, she did hers. Um, and I never shadowed with her, but we would chat and I would actually refer some of my Pilates clients to her because I was cueing the pelvic floor, cueing the core, but not going internal. I wasn't, you know, I wanted to make sure my cueing was the best cueing and I was doing what they needed for their pelvic floor. Um, so that was kind of a bit of an introduction and, um, knowing I could refer to someone else kind of didn't push me to feel like, okay, I, I need to look into this more um, until I got to that other clinic. And then I think it was really being in there and shadowing her was really what kind of, yeah, pushed me to realize how important it was going to be for my clients and how it would help my practice. Yeah. Before we get too much deeper in that conversation, I'm just want if you could like maybe just start and give maybe a brief overview of like pelvic health and then um, maybe some of the differences between like internal and external exams and like some of those things that go into like your assessment and things just to give people like a base understanding because to be honest, me, and we talked about this before, me and Will, is like we don't have that much knowledge in, in it as well. So this is going to be a great learning experience for us. Yeah, yeah. So I think in general, like when we say pelvic health, I think a lot of people, whether it's physios or the general public, assumes it's about the pelvic floor. Um, And that it's about kind of the health and function of the pelvic floor and the pelvis in general. Um, 
in terms of the for internal, um, I'll go into a little bit more later about what the assessment looks like, but basically it's the gold standard to know how these muscles are actually working. Um, and often when I'm, you know, I say I'm a pelvic health and an orthopedic physio because I think sometimes they get really separated and really I look at it as pelvic health is really ortho, but inside the pelvis. Like it shouldn't be considered this kind of isolated, separate area, although it is. Um, there is specific training. Not every physio is going to be doing internal and I don't think every physio should need to do internal or feel they have to. Um, but I think that's kind of an easy way to look at it is really it's we're experts in musculoskeletal um, issues and exercise and really in the pelvic health is just being able to do that inside the pelvis to be able to make those muscles work, you know, the best they can. Are there yeah. many male pelvic health physiotherapists? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Or, oh, so you mean like male physios? You mean? Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know of any, but I do know they do exist. Um, definitely much less um, than kind of female physios going into it. Um, but I have heard there are male physios. I just don't know any personally. Yeah. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I think, I mean, like, like a lot of things in the health profession, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around things. And, and I'm just curious, like in your experience and in, in what you're learning, like what are some common misconceptions people have like about pelvic health or pelvic floor problems or anything along those lines? Yeah. Um, I think something we were just, uh, talking about is that a lot of people think it's a women's issue. And the thing is, guys have pelvic floors too. Um, so in terms of definitely in terms of it's not just a women's issue. And also I think misconception is you have to have had a baby to have pelvic floor issues. I've treated a lot of women who have not been pregnant ever and who have pelvic floor issues. So it's not isolated to that. Um, also I think the assumption is, and I've heard this assumption from physios too, and I had this, um, initially before I got into pelvic health is that you're going to see a pelvic physio. They're going to give you a bunch of Kegels. You're just going to lie down, do a bunch of Kegels and that's your treatment. And I would say that's like pretty far from what should be happening with pelvic physio. Um, I would say maybe initially that might've been what treatment was, but we've come a long way. So that's, that's not really that common in terms of um, isolated treatment. Also that the pelvic floor works in isolation, but as orthophysios, like we don't ever treat one muscle. So why is the pelvic floor any different? Um, so I think that's another myth is that as pelvic physios, we just look at the pelvic floor, we ignore the rest of the body. Whereas really we're looking at the pelvic floor as part of that inner core canister. So with the TA, multifidus, the diaphragm, but then going beyond that and how it relates to the nervous system, but also every muscle group in the body. Um, so I think that's probably a big misconception. And then lastly, I would say the other thing is it, we commonly think we have to strengthen. Strengthen the pelvic floor, you have to do Kegels, you have to tighten, you have to squeeze. Whereas I would say actually majority of my clients and other physio, public physios will say this too, is it's more people actually have tension or tightness or don't know how to let go and relax um, that we're actually working on helping people release and relax their pelvic floor probably even more than actually strengthening strengthening and toning or at least the release part is like step one before we're going to introduce any sort of strength work yeah, that, that was something I read on on um, some of the stuff you sent over to us that I was I had had no idea about. What what are some of the reasons why you get like that response? Like, is that usually following pregnancy, or is there is there other reasons for why people have that that response? Like the tension. Yeah, yeah, the tension. Yeah. There can be so many things. So specific to birth, it could be if there's tearing or an episiotomy. So if they if they cut, um, and then have to do stitches. There could be the muscles could end up being tense from that. Um, I know there's a whole debate about scar tissue. Does that really exist? So I won't go into that. But just this idea that the muscles in response to that may be tense, maybe guarding the area. Um, I find it really common after moms who've had a cesarean birth or a C-section 
um, there can be a lot of different reasons or theories behind why that happens to you. So even though the baby didn't come out vaginally, why would their pelvic floor be tense? Um, but I would say I see it pretty common um, and it could be due just to how a cesarean birth, um, how that surgery, surgical birth is actually done. Um, I would say it's also common for women who've never given birth. So it's sometimes to do, um, when I see athletes, and this was my issue too, when I finally had my pelvic floor assessed, was growing up as a dancer and athlete, I was told to tense, tighten, hold constantly. So I actually initially had tension in my pelvic floor that I had to get released and learn to release that kind of before I gave birth the first time. Um, so those would be kind of common things, but also stress. And I know you guys are awesome with bringing up about um, persistent pain. You've had so many uh, experts on about that. And so oftentimes, too, a lot of um, persistent pain clients they see actually have um, tension in their pelvic floor. And to whether we know which came first, is it a response? Um, we don't always know, but it's definitely related to like the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. If that, if the sympathetic nervous system is really heightened, um, I'll often see a lot of tension in the pelvic floor. Interesting. It has a lot of parallels with just like back pain in general, you know, where you're seeing these people and maybe they've been told their whole lives, they have to protect their back. They have to protect their back and then they get back pain and it's like, they're still, overly protecting yeah. and sometimes just helping them kind of relax it is, yeah. is more the way to go. So it's interesting to see, you know, it's not necessarily that much different just because um, it's in a different area of the body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to bring up too, because, and again, before I did pelvic health, I was very similar to, especially with the Pilates is like someone comes in with back pain. We need to do like, quote-unquote core stability and we need to tighten and strengthen and then when I added the pelvic health and internal component that totally shifted in my practice that when you know for clients who did want to see what the pelvic floor was doing it was actually more of a tension issue or just the inability or the challenging part to relax those muscles um and it was pretty neat in last year so 2018 um there was actually a cross-sectional study done by two canadian physios um caroline van dyken and um Sinead defour which both would be awesome to have on if you want to go more into kind of the pain side with pelvic health and they looked at lumbopelvic pain and to see if there was any relation or what was going on with the pelvic floor, if there was pelvic floor dysfunction. And majority, it actually was tenderness when the pelvic floor was palpated. So more on the tension side versus um, needing to, to strengthen per se. Hmm. Hmm. Very, Very interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other things like you, we mentioned a little bit was um, with like back pain. And I know, again, I don't have too much information around this myself, but I know there's a lot of times where like that differential diagnosis between some back pain or some pelvic floor or pelvic health problems. Like what are some signs um, or symptoms or things that would point a clinician towards like maybe a referral to come and see you? Well, that's the thing. I think a lot like, I think regardless, you could probably, because there always can be that relation, um, but I think as orthophysios or like kind of external physios, um, it's always good to ask the questions or have on the intake form, you know, about urinary urgency. So whether they have the urge, they have to rush to the washroom frequency, are they having incontinence, so leakage of urine, stool, gas, um, diastesis, which is ab separation. You could do a whole podcast on that. Um, it's really, really interesting. Um, but all these things, I think, again, it's one of those things where I, I wish we didn't separate it so much that these should just be questions we're asking anyways, um, as external physios. And, you know, these all may be negative. They may be like no urgency, no frequency, no, 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 no. But that still doesn't mean there isn't a pelvic floor component because, again, there are muscles. There could be tension or, yeah, there just could be other things going on. Um, so I, I think it's hard to be, to be like certain questions. And if they're all negative, then there's no pelvic floor component because I think there always could be. 
Yeah. That's a good point too about the uh, not separating the two and having that on the intake form. Cause actually on one of my placements, um, I'll give a shout out to the clinic as Erie Shore physiotherapy. One of the physiotherapists there was in the process of becoming like a pelvic floor physio and they had all of that stuff on their intake form. And I remember on one of my assessments, I had been, there was a lady with low back pain and she was um, recently she pregnant. Um, and a lot of those things came up as like positives on the, on that intake form. And then even just in the subject, subjective and objective assessment, there were some things that were like not really adding up. didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at the time. And then even, even she was like, Oh, this, this might be a good person for like pelvic health or to see her and me as like the, the student there as like the ortho physio. So that's a, it's a very good point. I think it is something that we should maybe consider more, um, as, as physios. Yeah. And I think that's a great point to bring up. So it sounds similar to when, before I did pelvic health. So I think sometimes there's this idea of like, well, do I want to refer to a public physio because, you know, they can do ortho and pelvic. So then is there going to be a point in them seeing me? Um, if I'm just, if I'm an external physio that doesn't have the internal, um, training, and I would say to still, I would say it's so key to reach out and connect with a pelvic physio because that happens to me. Whereas I, I have someone coming in referred from another physio or a chiropractor or a massage therapist, and maybe they're focusing on, let's say, shoulder pain. And yes, I can treat that. Um, but if they're already having successful treatment for shoulder pain, but then through exactly questions or kind of through therapeutic alliance, they start to tell you about stuff. Um, then you could say, you know what, you could also see a pelvic physio and they'll address this area, even though it's not an isolated area, but you can still treat their shoulder and I can address their pelvic floor concerns. So just to know that, you know, definitely two physios can work with one person. So yes, as a pelvic physio, I can do all of the above, but if they're already seeing someone, we don't need to then, you know, start changing that up. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like, go ahead, Will, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like something that kind of seems to, I don't know, the prevailing opinion seems to change so much is kind of surrounding exercise with, uh, with pregnant women and, uh, and even like after they have the baby. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, what are some of the misconceptions surrounding that topic? Yeah, I would totally agree that pendulum has totally swung. So there was a point where it was basically, if you're pregnant, don't exercise, rest, maybe you can walk, but you know, cease pretty much all activity. Um, and then now it's swung to, well, if you did it before you were pregnant, you can keep doing it. There's, you know, there's no reason to stop. There's no harm to the baby, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's a place for the in-between. So I would say, yes, if your care provider, so your doctor, or your midwife says, you know, you could run or you could still do CrossFit or you could do A, B, and C because we know it's not going to medically, there's no issue for the baby. That's fantastic. I want to know that as a physio. But then let's say you want to continue CrossFit, for example. There are modifications that we can do so that you can be the most comfortable doing it. You're aware of your pelvic floor and, and core and just your body is changing. Your center of gravity is changing. Um, there's so many changes going on in the body that doesn't mean you have to stop doing the activity, but I love being able to help women continue as much as they can, but feeling good in their body. Um, because I think going to the extreme of not making any modifications um, sometimes can lead to some challenges in pregnancy that may potentially could have been prevented um, if some modifications were made. So I think that's a really good point is, uh, is kind of getting that in between and working with someone who has that focus um, in their training, in their background, who isn't telling someone to stop everything just because they're pregnant, um, but who knows how to make those tweaks um, so that they can keep being active. Because the research does show being active in pregnancy is positive for both the mom and the baby. We just want to be mindful of that the mom is, is being able to do it in a comfortable way um, and not getting injured in the process. So what are some like indications in that that maybe they should dial it back and maybe it might be a good idea to seek some advice? Yeah. So I would say pain. Like 
it, the thing is, I, um, a lot of times I think in pregnancy, this idea of, you know, back pain, pelvic pain, pubic symphysis pain is just a part of it. You're pregnant. Um, but really it, it shouldn't be a part of it. Like it still is a sign that something that how your body has, you know, taken on this movement maybe has changed because of the changes in your body. What can we do to then make this more comfortable and feel better in your body? So I would say pain would be one of the things leakage. So if you're leaking urine, stool or gas, that is a sign. Again, it's more that your core, but kind of your body as a whole, isn't able to take on the pressure of whatever you're doing. And then you're having these symptoms. Um, so I'd say those would be key things. Um, heaviness in the pelvic floor um, can be something else. Uh, diastasis. And actually, I'm curious, do either of you guys, have you heard of diastasis? Um, like the ab separation? I have. I actually okay. watched uh, one of my uh, CIs was a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And I watched like one of the assessments um, of someone who had uh, diastasis, but I, like, I mean, I'm not saying I know much about it, but I've seen it. Okay. Um, I haven't seen anything about it. So (laughs) (laughs) something good to definitely good to learn about. Um, and I won't go into too much detail, but it's kind of the abs, uh, do end up starting to separate, which is very normal part of pregnancy. But for some people, um, there can be issues with it, but it's kind of gotten really uh, kind of pathologized over the years of like, it's this big medical thing that shouldn't be happening, but it's actually very normal. But for some, if it kind of, if they lack tension in the tissue between the abs, that sometimes can cause an issue. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so with the ab separation, sometimes we'll see doming or this kind of coning in the center of the abs. And sometimes that can be a concern. So if someone notices that during a specific exercise, um, then that's something we'll look into to see if it actually is of concern. So yeah, I'd say the big things would be pain. Um, and then the leakage as well are kind of two big things that are common, again, common in pregnancy, but shouldn't be considered just like a, like a normal part that you have to put up with that we can actually change that even while you're pregnant. So I think now maybe is a good time to dive into um, more of like what you do on like initial assessment for someone that's coming to see you for like a pelvic health problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of similar to what I've mentioned was uh, kind of some of the other questions is, I think it's good for people to know that a pelvic health assessment actually looks a lot like an ortho assessment, external ortho assessment. So, you know, if someone's coming in for shoulder pain, like it is very similar, the internal component would obviously be something uh, different, but just to get the idea that it's not, it shouldn't be something completely different. So um, I'll touch more on the things that are actually different um, than from kind of a typical um, external assessment. So kind of with taking your detailed um, history, Some things, so again, questions we mentioned before, asking about urinary urgency, frequency, um, different, you know, pains around the pelvis um, and that as well. But I'll also ask if they've given birth before. I will ask, you know, if they're comfortable sharing about their birth experience um, and, you know, finding out was there tearing, episiotomy, forceps, vacuum, um, all of these different interventions could play a role with the symptoms that they're experiencing. So it's good for me to know ahead of time. Um, also, even about uh, um, their menstrual cycle, um, or if they're going through menopause, different hormonal hormonal symptoms that may be coming up, because again, that could be related to public health. And also, I should mention, what I'm explaining is more if you're seeing um, uh, a female for a public health assessment. So I've niched down my practice, so I only see women in my practice at this point. Um, so for men, there may be other questions that you would ask specific to public health. Um, so after doing that detailed history, and again, it goes back to their goals, which would be the same as if you saw someone for any injury, right? Um, so I want to know what are their goals? So maybe they're, yes, they're leaking, but when are they leaking? Are they leaking during a squat when they're in CrossFit or a deadlift, or is it when they're picking up their toddler? So everything I want to be able to go back to that initial goal, because again, that's going to get buy-in from them and that's really why they're there. So goes back to like, if I just give them Kegels lying on their back, but they're leaking when they're squatting, you know, at the gym, does that really, you know, go together? It's not necessarily going to solve their issue. So I'm always going back to their goals. Um, And then 
before kind of the objective side, I am educating about the core four that I mentioned before, those core four muscles, including your pelvic floor. And I have um, uh, like a pelvic model with the pelvic floor muscles on it. So the client can actually see where these muscles are um, because most people are told, go home, do some Kegels, maybe from a health professional they've seen. But most people have zero idea where those muscles are. So when they can physically see where those muscles are, everything else makes a lot more sense. Um, so I explained to them, I explained how the core four works. So how their diaphragm and pelvic floor and TA and the rest of their ab muscles, their back muscles, how they all work as a team. Because again, that's going to play a role in them understanding all the other steps. Um, and then with the objective, I am going to look at posture and breathing mechanics, but I generally will look at it specifically, again, to their goals. So I may look at it in standing and sitting kind of static. But again, if the only symptom they're having is they're leaking when they're squatting, I need to look at it during a squat and during a squat when they're weighted or whatever it is that they're doing. So I often will get right into that and assess mechanics that way. So whether it's like range of motion, um, mobility issues, um, are they holding their breath? All those things during that specific task. And I may even already start adding some things in at that point. So let's say they're leaking when they squat um, and just being able to change up their breath pattern and that in itself may already make a difference. And so I'm kind of treating and assessing together. Um, and again, this is kind of how I learned and how I, I do it, but every pelvic physio might be a little bit different. Um, so going into that, I will assess diastasis. So the ab separation I mentioned um, traditionally, it's assessed lying down on someone's back, doing a slight kind of curl-up movement. Um, for some people, I will do that. Other people, if that's why they're coming in, because I do have some people come in specifically for diastasis, I'll assess it in whatever position, again, that they're symptomatic in. Um, also, if they've had a cesarean birth or any abdominal surgery, we're looking at scars because... If that scar hasn't been addressed, um, it may actually be a factor in the symptoms that they're um, experiencing. And a lot of clients are actually really surprised I asked to look at their scar. Um, and once I explain that actually it could be a part of why you're leaking or why you're having pain, it makes a lot more sense. And they appreciate that someone's actually doing that. Because after a cesarean birth, most women get zero um, education about their scar. Um, so we look into that. And then when we get to the pelvic floor, I again use the model, uh, pelvic floor model, and I explain, I show them what I'll actually be doing externally and internally on the pelvic model so they already know up front um, what will be happening because a lot of people that are coming in with public health issues, they may have only seen their doctor, but I have some people who've come in who've seen multiple doctors, multiple specialists. Um, who've never had exams explained to them. And for those with pelvic pain, especially internal pelvic pain, if you don't explain it to them first and, and allow them to actually make informed consent about the internal exam, it's just reinforcing the pain pattern that they're going through. Hmm. So that's, a, I would say, a big part of it. And um, for those coming in with pelvic pain, I think it's good for physios to know that we don't have to do an internal. So I think, again, an assumption is people think, well, if I go to a public physio or I refer to one, they have to do an internal and you don't. Because I think a lot of clients with pelvic pain, that's also a deterrent. They're like, well, this has always been painful. Like pap exams are super painful. Intercourse is painful. Why am I going to go to a physio that's just going to do another internal that's going to, again, be painful? So a big part is explaining it ahead of time um, and giving them the choice of whether this is going to be part of the assessment or maybe a future treatment, or maybe it's not something we'll include at all, which is totally fine as well. Um, for the internal, so using that model, um, we're first palpating on the outside, so kind of the first layer of the pelvic floor as well as around the pubic bone. We're checking um, sensation, um, reflex, everything from the outside. Um, and having them actually do a pelvic floor contraction, a cough, and a kind of a bearing down or valsava movement. So we'll see what the pelvic floor is naturally doing um, without me cueing anything extra. Um, and then internally, we're kind of starting at the vaginal opening. 
and going internal and again always getting feedback from the client so they can take they can decide that they don't consent to go any further um, which again is totally fine so I think a big part is physios what I think is great is the the client really feels in control of the whole assessment um, that we offer that we can do this as a part of um, the assessment or treatment but we don't have to um, and I think a lot of clients clients feel really empowered by that because up until that point like I said especially the pelvic pain clients they kind of feel like everyone's just examining and checking things and no one's asking them or explaining things so that's probably one of the most um, like the, the parts of being a public physio that I just find inspiring and motivating is that these clients end up feeling like they get their control back um, while their symptoms are improving, even if we don't go internal. Yeah. And there's just so, there's so much to that. Like so many factors going on. I think like you have someone coming in that doesn't know what's going on, why this is happening. They're in pain. They've seen a bunch of people telling them different things, not really explaining to it. Now they're coming to you and they're, they're worried about this internal exam. And there's just so many factors I think that play into it. And like, as we learn more about how important, like taking in consideration the whole person and considering bio and psycho mm-hmm. and social factors. Like I think as a profession, like with physio, like given the amount of time we have to spend with people and our understanding of now all of those things, I think we can play such a large role in helping those people. How are like some ways you go about like implementing that biopsychosocial framework or making that person feel like you're considering all factors into like their care? Yeah, I think a big part, it actually starts with the history. Um, giving them the opportunity to, you know, share about the experiences they have because I definitely, when I added pelvic physio um, to my practice, I've definitely heard a lot more um, trauma. Um, so whether it's birth trauma, uh, sexual abuse, um physical abuse, mental abuse, I've I've heard a lot more um, of that from clients. Um, So I think giving them the opportunity to share their story, because that's a big part. I I feel a lot of people will say after the assessment is like, no one's listened to me before. Um, No one's really taken that part in. They kind of see the physical symptoms I'm experiencing, but no one's really asked more about the background so I think that's actually where the healing even starts is letting them share their story and giving them space um so I'd say that would be a big component and then yeah just through the whole assessment like informed consent is just such a big thing and I know it's it's being talked about a little bit more in the physio community in general and I would say pelvic health like from the initial training it's such a massive component um just because it is a more intimate type of treatment and more um, clients do feel more vulnerable um, with that area, which is understandable. So I think it's constantly explaining things, re-explaining things, giving them the opportunity to really be in control of the assessment. Um, And a lot of the the pain science education, which I know you guys have talked about in so many episodes, um, that even once I see someone's intake form before I even see them face-to-face, getting an idea that I'm probably going to be starting to talk about some of the, the pain science early on um, just to help break down maybe some things that they've been told over and over, you know, whether from x-rays or MRIs, maybe that isn't evidence-based. Um, and if I can gradually kind of get that into even the initial assessment part, um, they start to feel more comfortable um, and already start to address concerns that maybe does that answer Dalton? Is that? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no. And I think, I think it just goes again to show like how much of a a role we can play in, in healthcare um, by taking this new approach or, or taking more of a a biopsychosocial approach and a a holistic approach to care because um, you know, people really need that and they don't really have an opportunity to get it anywhere else. And whether it's, you know, someone experiencing pelvic health problems or, or someone who's had back pain for 10 years, you know what I mean? I think we have such a great opportunity to create like, almost like you're saying this safe space for people to come in and share their story and we'll listen to them and we'll take into these consideration, all these factors. I just, I think it's awesome just to hear that like that's being reinforced in, in many other areas of physio 
um, in an area that I think is starting to grow and, be, and people, especially in North America, are starting to realize how important it is for, for healthcare, specifically for women. Um, it's just, it's just awesome to hear that stuff. Yeah. I think feel like, um, there's this misconception that operating from like a biopsychosocial perspective is like, you're just doing psychosocial interventions. But I feel like what I was, uh, really interested in hearing you talk was something like just putting them in the context of whatever it, whatever it is they're having a problem with. Like you mentioned squatting and then you mentioned maybe they're holding their breath during the squat why is it that they're holding their breath, right? Like this is something that we look for. Uh, you notice people gritting their teeth or they're, they're um, almost like combining these movements with uh, and reinforcing this kind of uh, pain, kind of painful movement. And sometimes just noticing that and then maybe saying, okay, why don't we try this a little more relaxed? Like that's operating from a biosocial perspective and noticing those things, but it's not necessarily like, giving them like the, the talk, you know, like sitting down there, like it's within the context of like what's meaningful to that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point you brought up just connecting it all. Um, because I think a lot of clients are surprised when they come in and, and we end up talking about, you know, um, stress or kind of emotional stressors or personal stressors and how they're relating to, for example, their pelvic floor symptoms. They're like, I thought you were just going to talk to me about a bunch of muscles and some kegels. Um, and we just go far beyond that. And I think as physios in general, that that's where, that's where we're going more, which I think is so, so important for people to heal or recover for whatever reason that they're coming in. Yeah, for sure. I want to transition a little bit and talk about just like what you're doing um, with like your practice and like your podcast and your blog. Like what, what made you kind of move towards that, those mediums? And why do you see, why do you see value in that as a, as a healthcare professional? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the podcast, so it's called Two Birth and Beyond and I co-host it with Jesse Mandel, who's actually a pre-postnatal fitness um, coach in Calgary. And we actually connected over social media as well. Um, and I saw that she was out there putting out a lot of really good quality education. Cause again, with the pelvic floor and core, um, there's been a lot of tradition again around core stability and, and how it should be treated. And, uh, it's just, even over the years that I've been in pel- added pelvic health, um, always new evidence and new research is coming out. So constantly even changing how I treated since I first started adding public health. So I saw that she was doing that as well. Um, and just connecting with so many other fitness and health professionals over social media, I can see how there's such an important education component and you guys do an awesome job with that too, that I think there's definitely a place that there can be education there in terms of on the internet and up to date you know, in terms of education, because there is a lot of stuff out there that is not. Um, And so the podcast we felt was a way to get this information out there to um, people who are thinking of becoming pregnant, who are pregnant, who are postpartum, but also the professionals too. So we kind of cater to both um, professionals and um, general community members because we felt with the podcast, this was kind of missing. There was either podcasts for one or the other um, and not always, again, up-to-date information. So that's where we kind of went with that. Um, and it's been awesome. We just celebrated one year of doing our podcast. And nice. Congrats. That's awesome. That's Thank big. you. Yeah, we just did the same a yeah. month or so ago. So that's awesome. And I felt like I gosh, when I was in physio, like, that's why I think we, what you guys are doing is awesome. Cause when I was in physio, I don't even know if podcasts really existed. Um, or if they did, like they, no one really knew much about them. Yeah. So I didn't get into podcasts until I was actually pregnant, uh, with my daughter. So it was a bit over three years ago and I was listening to podcasts for different things for physio side of stuff, um, for pregnancy side of, uh, stuff as well. And it was just a way that I could learn on the go. Um, and Jess was the same way. So my co-host, and that's really been a huge part. And even since then, like having kids, like sitting down to read a book, yeah, not <laughs> happening. So listening to audiobooks um, or podcasts was the way I was kind of gaining information and quickly that's been spreading. So we knew that was really um, 
really helpful as well. And just to get the feedback. So the messages, the comments, the emails from, from women in like the UK and Europe in Australia, who I'm probably never going to meet in person, but who are like, you know what, I found your blog on, you know, exercise and pregnancy, or I heard your podcast on, you know, postpartum top tips for exercise or how to prepare my pelvic floor for birth because I tore so badly last time. I really want to do what I can not to this time. Like to get that feedback is incredible. And I'm sure you guys get that from the podcast too. It just motivates you to be like, okay, this education is getting to people who could really use it. Um, so that's what keeps me going. And I, again, I think because the, what we're learning and in women's health, but in all areas of physio keeps changing, we need to keep updating this info so more people around the world can hear evidence-based um, information, up-to-date information. Because um, if they're finding a blog post from 10 years ago, again, about just doing Kegels lying on your back, like we've progressed from there. So that's kind of why I keep, keep doing all the online stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that's hit so many points on the head of why we do what we do too, because I think like one, I think with women's health, it, it gives people a safe space to learn about it. Like they might not want to go and talk about it right away. So if they can go to your podcast and listen to other people talking about this, having conversations, like it's easier for people to want to access that information. And then like what you're saying is just as a, as physios, it's on us to put out up to date information. And the one thing I get tired of hearing is like, Oh, like don't go and Google this and Google that because like you're getting this bad information. And, and my thought is like, well, I want to get to a point where someone can Google women's health and it comes to your podcast or your blog is like the first thing that they search and they get up to date, good information. And whether we like the internet or not, like it's, it's here and, and th these platforms are, are going to be what people are accessing. So I think to continue to put good quality information out there is the only way to really go. And then on top of it, you can talk about reaching mass amount of people like you're, you're helping people in the UK, you're helping people all over the world who are hearing about women's health, physiotherapy, our profession and how, how we can help people. Like, it's just, it's amazing when you stop and think about it for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been awesome connecting with like physios from around the world because yeah. we all, we all do get different training to a degree and even, you know, how I was trained here uh, to add the public health and internal component, I know can be different from elsewhere. So even kind of going through the assessment, another pelvic physio somewhere else may be like, oh, I don't, that's not how I look at it. Maybe I isolate it more. Maybe I do things a little bit differently. Um, so I think learning from each other is really, I don't know, it's a really, I think, awesome part of the, the online world as well. For sure. Well, I think we covered quite a bit and I, I want you to just let people know where they can find more about you, like your Instagram, your Facebook, your podcast, leave everything for people to find. Cause I think you have some great information that people can find very valuable. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Holistic Health Physio um, and also my website, holistichealthphysio.com. And then about the podcast, you can find um, To Birth and Beyond um, is our website. You can also find To Birth and Beyond podcast on Instagram and it's on iTunes and Spotify as well. Awesome. Yeah. Go check it out. Go check out our podcast, leave a review, subscribe. I, I try to get everyone to do that. Cause like ever since we started a podcast, I'm like, we need people to subscribe and leave reviews. So yeah. go and leave a review on to birth and beyond podcast for Anita. She's putting out great content. Um, awesome. Thanks thank you, guys. Thanks so yeah. much for coming on and talking to us. I think this was like a really valuable episode. Like I learned a lot and I hope people that actually listen to this episode get something out of it. Cause I think this is a, a big topic in our profession. that's very well um, needed. Awesome. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you. Anita. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Goodbye. Okay,